Hi everybody, welcome to Wrong Term Memory. As always, my name is Jack. And my name is Colin, and thank you very much for tuning in. Jack, how are you this week? Yeah, I'm super. Yourself? I'm good, yeah. I'm not bad. Um, We've got some people to thank that have made this week's show possible, though, haven't we? Yeah, for a start, we've obviously decided to launch a Patreon, and a few people have actually signed up before we launch, so... A massive shout-out to everybody that's signed up. We've got a handful of people on there, but most importantly are our exec producers, basically, Colin. So who do we need to give a massive thank? Yeah, so our exec producers um, that have obviously helped the show become possible this week are Mark Brown, Robert McMillan and Ross Barnett. The real good guys, the heroes, so to speak. That's it, mate. Uh, what you going to spend your first Patreon paycheck on? Um, I am going to buy something from the Chinese that's got salt and chilli on it. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably not going to buy anything because we just about cover yeah. hosting costs. To be perfectly honest with you, but yeah. uh, maybe some skittles or something, pack of frisps. Well, I'll it. use I'll use the money we would have spent on hosting to get something with salt and chilli on it. Well, that's it. I think Jack, we're at the stage now where you could literally go to the Chinese and a salt and chilli joby would be appetising. Um, because that salt and chilli is just it's just the best. So yeah, something salt and chilli. That's it, right? Well, um, right, we're going to do military deception this week because I was a moaning face little bitch last week after Tupac won the vote on Twitter. So uh, I moaned like fuck to Colin and said I find military deception and the history of it quite interesting. So we're going to cover that. But before we get there, obviously we've done our hashtag WTM pies competition. And quite a lot of entries, so we're going to get a little bit of extra content from those entries, basically, Colin. So I'm just going to go through our entries and we'll pass judgment on whether or not we feel like the entries are A, either worth a mention, or B, a winner, or somebody that you've heard of or have not heard of, basically. Okay, yeah, sounds good. Right, so uh, FRCS55, Eminem. Because the the question was, I suppose, if you've not seen it, was uh, who's your favourite rapper, basically? Yeah, um, I wasn't overly happy with that one. I do not like Eminem at all. I never really have. No, you're not into the, like, I suppose when you look back on it, it's a little bit uh, off-piece that, like, rap and R&B was obviously very much... The, the the genre of let's be honest black guys and then Eminem turned up and he was the one white guy and suddenly rap and his angry sort of genre not even a genre just like a sub-genre of rap seemed to take off when we were about 12 or 13 was that him just sort of aiming towards a certain niche of society angry young white teenagers or teenagers in general uh, yeah, I just, I, I just, I never ever thought he was that good to me. I just thought he was, I, I never particularly enjoyed it and all the sort of, especially when he was coming through and like working in Burger King, spitting on your onion rings and all that sort of shit and all the kind of gross stuff I felt was more shock value than anything else. I think that's why a lot of people, younger people gravitated to him. Right. I, I've just always thought he was shit. Don't like him. I, fair enough. And and he, he's not changed, has he? Like he's had about 10 albums and he's, he's still rapping about. Uh, shitting in your fucking fries or whatever. Like, do you think you should have grown up a wee bit, maybe? I, I'd like to have thought so, yeah. Like, apparently he's quite famously terrible with money and that he's still extremely tight. Literally right. won't spend his money. Doesn't understand how much money he's got. I watched an interview with him recently where 
the interviewer asked him about his watch and he had a G-Shock watch on. Right. And the guy was like, saying, why are you wearing a G-Shock watch? Why have you not got like a Rolex or something like that? And apparently he asked his manager about buying the G-Shock in the first place. And the G-Shock was like 200 quid. Um, he's, he's a I remember star. I remember going to secondary school with cunts that had a fucking G-Shock on. Oh, I had a G-Shock back in the day. But yeah, yeah that's uh, what I mean. So you can, you, I'm not saying you're skint the fuck out, but you <laughs> could afford a G-Shock. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. didn't go to school with any cunt that ripped about with a Rolex. So fuck <laughs> out, um, yeah, I did have I did have a G-Shock, and I didn't have to ask a manager or anything about it. I just I just got one. Um, but yeah, he's a weirdo. The PR ninety two suggested me. Meek Mill? It's, it's a far better suggestion than Eminem, that's for sure. I don't know who Meek Mill is, PR. Sorry. Stu um, McLean and Kev Armstrong, who presents the What a Maneuver podcast, both sent in a picture separately of a Turnix tea cake wrapper flattened out. Yeah, uh, Kev obviously copied him. Um, well, Kev, quite... did he follow him? Oh, did he not? Kev wow. and Stu were not. Um, Twitter buddies. Oh dear, poor Stu getting lapped in with that then. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose it's, it's a good answer. It's good. It's quite funny then. Okay. I'm a baller, mate, when it comes to Turnix tea cake wrappers. Actually, I don't like them, so I, I, I couldn't tell you what, what one even feels like. Scott and Werebear suggested Easy E. That's a good shout as well, yeah. Right, this seemed to be quite common as well. Paul Toner, Stevie Clifford and... Yeah, another Stevie suggested John, John Barnes. <laughs> At least he could rap. Um, yeah. yeah, that's a good shout. Uh, Jack Mayer <laughs> suggested on the video with the two wee ginger lasses sitting in the Mackham's in and says, who's left the tub in the toilet? It was fucking one of you. Oh, disgusting. That's uh, fucking disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to sing Sherlock by Sherlock. <laughs> that's on, yeah. Yeah, a bit of potential there. Craig Bailey suggested Old Dirty Bastard. ODB, yeah, that's a good one. Ross Guild. I missed this the other night, this oh. uh, Twitter space that was called Sing Your Dialect. Yeah. Missed it. Uh, he suggested not... Declan Rice. Somebody done a Declan Rice one that was quite good, supposedly. It was, no, it was Declan Rice that went on it. Oh, was it? Yeah. So <laughs> Declan... <laughs> Fuck's sake, I thought it was like somebody doing an impression. No, it was actual Declan Rice that went on and he rapped Ice Ice Baby with Vanilla Ice. Um, right, fuck, I missed that. Yeah, I mean, we, we've spoken in the past about doing a Twitter space, uh, doing something for long term memory on one. Every time I see these fucking bangers doing them, it puts me off doing it. Um, but yeah, this seems to be a big thing now, this um, singer dialect. They're getting quite famous people on it, the wee lad that started it, so fair play to him. He got right. loads of attention, he, he trended on Twitter, but I, Declan, uh, Declan Rice, rapping vanilla ice is a good answer, very topical. Yeah, the one that's floating about now is Bigots Get Talent. I've not listened yeah. to any of it, mate. Is it is it pretty it's, bad? Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, we'll move it's, on rapidly. It's not easy. It's not, listen, right. it's not easy to set up a podcast and do a podcast. Twitter Spaces makes it very, very easy, and because it's easy, doesn't mean you should do it. <laughs> uh, Simon, uh, most of you will know Simon again, another host of What Maneuver. John Cena, I've never heard <sighs> his rap tunes. Du, 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 du. Yeah, um, can you me? An awful rapper. If you think anything is bad, don't see that's worse. Uh, Colin Simpson suggested Nate Dog. Brilliant shout, yeah. Brilliant mm. shout. Uh, Neil Buchanan sent in a picture of a Dime Bar rapper. I love Dime Bars. My favourite rapper. Dime Bars are good, yeah. Especially the many ones you get in um, Ikea. Yeah. Doug <laughs> Abs 
uh, from five. <laughs> I have from five. Did spit some good bars back in the day. Um, famous one about um, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Jimmy Snooker in the one line in a five song, funnily enough. But yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah, there was only one winner, basically. And like to be fair to Larnboy73, he suggested this but a day or two later. But the winner is Callum Gordon who sent a picture of Parappa the Rapper in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's got to be the winner. Um, I'm not sure MD could... Uh, if somebody had picked Kanye, I'm, I'm actually disappointed nobody picked Kanye <laughs> to try and win me over, truth be told. There wasn't an even attempt at fixing it this time. Um, that might be the only one that beat Parappa the Rapper. So, yeah, good shout. Uh, well done, Callum. Uh, we will DM you on the Twitter and we will get some pies from the good guys at Pie Sports delivered to you. That's it, that's it. Right, Uh Need to give a shout out to Ross Hutton, who again a bunch of you will know, but if you don't know him, he has basically written uh, this episode for us, and it was the history of military deception. It's been used for centuries, mate, as a tool to defeat the enemy, all the way back to like second, third, fourth, fifth mili- uh, century Chinese military. And you've heard of Sun Xu, uh, the guy that wrote The Art of War? Yes. You at least heard of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he, re- he wrote about the importance of deception and espionage uh, in a war effort and as a result of this, military tacticians have basically latched onto it throughout the whole millennia and placed a massive focus on deception as a key time war tactic, mate. You, 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 you were really against doing this because... We are very, very different people, and I think that's maybe why the podcast works, right? So you were heavy buzzing to speak about Tupac, and I'm heavy buzzing to speak about things that happened two and a half thousand years ago. So uh, what put you off doing this, and do you not see, like, sort of why I find this interesting? And other people do, like Neil Buchanan, for example, who's a long-time listener, he's buzzing that we're doing this. Yes, um, um, and this is an art attack. I think that every time I see his name, um, but the the whole military deception thing, I was just put off it with the whole military thing because I, I don't enjoy war movies. I don't find them particularly interesting. It's just not my bag. I think the exception is Band of Brothers, which was phenomenal. But other than that, it just doesn't do anything for me, especially when it's in the past. You know, I'm not a history buff. Um, if something happened when it was black and white and there's no footage of it, I'm not interested. However. When I actually opened my mind and did Ross the, the courtesy of reading his notes, there is actually some quite interesting stuff here, and it's not kind of what I thought it was. So I'm actually I'm, not, I'm looking forward to it. It's good. Um, I would still rather talk about Tupac, um, but on the outside looking in, this just wasn't my bag. But that's my issue, not yours. Yeah, there's been a sort of lack of development basically surrounding military deception. Might call it MD. Um, as we go forward, because, well, what's in the notes is MD, and it just makes it easier for me to read them, but, like, it's not really grown all that much, but it has been used for years and years, and one of the big things probably is that deception has meant that, like, armies that have got depleted numbers, low morale, a lack of like weaponry, especially back in the day, like not everybody had guns. If you came up against an army that had like a fucking slingshot and you only had bows and arrows, you were fucked basically. So it gave you a sort of a boost to be able to square go another army. 
it's been developed obviously over the years and years and years and we will get to some of that sort of stuff but it can be traced back for thousands and thousands of years Colin I'm actually going to throw this to you because I know you fucking hate it we're going back to China and listen to this year it doesn't even sound real 208 <laughs> <laughs> does it like a year? Oh, it? I mean, you'd be as well tell me Adam and Eve are in their garden next door. Like, tell me this sort of shit. But, right, 208 BC. Right. That's yeah. the, the, the thing I struggle most with, Jack, see when I think about 208 BC, what did people do with their time? Like, oh, fuck all, mate. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, survive, like not die. Oh, that man. was your only life goal, was waking up in the morning like that. <laughs> You do, you do a big stretch like that. Oh, oh, better no die today, and that's it. Yeah, it sounds awful, man. Right. Um, that so is you, it. What was even, happening back then? Even, like, no, even going back that far, like, even just 80, 90 years ago, mate, there was world wars going on, and you're like, right, I better no die today, I better no put my light on when it's dark, just in case mate, the bombers. It's I, struggle with, I struggle with the idea that my parents had to, like, arrange to meet each other. And just rely on them both getting there at the same time. There was no text messages to say. My dad would have to sit in the bus without a phone to look at. It's just not worth thinking about. It isn't right. Like, for as much as Ross obviously wrote this article, and massive kudos for that, he was speaking about his son too, who wrote The Art of War. But uh, this guy, Zhang Lang, was like three or four hundred years before. The Art of War was written, so there's this big, massive battle, and the only thing that basically separates the armies is the Yangtze River. So, he's thinking to himself, right, uh, we need to fight these cunts, but we don't have any arrows, right? Yep. But we want to shoot these arrows, so what we're going to do is we're going to um, wait until it's dark, wait until it's a foggy night, and then we're going to put straw like, uh, what do you call it, haystacks, basically, yeah. into these boats, and we're going to let them float al- along the river, and then basically make a fucking massive noise so that the other guys shite themselves, and they started firing up to 100,000 arrows that were trying to obviously murder the other guys, but there was nobody there. It was just boats full of straw bales. So... They then went and got all the arrows <laughs> that they cunts had fired. But, uh, right, come ahead, you cunts. <laughs> like, you've got the arrows left and then fired them back. I think that's pretty, that's pretty that snazzy, is, man. Yeah, that is good. I do like that. That's that's interesting. That's uh, My idea of military history is just people in trenches waiting for something to happen and being cold. Um, that is pretty cool. That's I mean, that's where somebody makes their money, I suppose, old days, Elang, back in... Um, 208 um if you've got two armies back then it's probably not it's not like call of duty it's not technical there's you're not following a calling in airstrikes you've not got all this personnel and all these machinery and stuff to look after as you're a kind of general or as a leader you've got to kind of think of something otherwise it's just two groups of people fighting and the one with the most people will always win usually so if this is this is these guys that are able to come up with something a little bit smarter a little bit more cunning and take advantage in another way, and that is pretty cool, and that is ingenious. I, I assume they had, like, string or a rope or something attached to all the boats so they could pull them all back and get their arrows out of them. I basically, well, I, I would imagine that they had, like, eye ropes connected to the boats, but yeah. it was foggy. People thought, 
Like, it was, it kind of sounds dead easy to trick people back then because all you had to do was go and make noise and then they'd shake themselves. <laughs> like, oh, fuck, there must be somebody there. started firing arrows, but um, that is how Zhang Liang managed to get 100,000 arrows. Like, again, thinking back to the day, how hard must it have been to build one single arrow? <laughs> just build one. There was no fucking machinery. Yeah. You had to literally sculpt every arrow and he went, nah, fuck it, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to get them to file them at us. So, so, basically, so basically it's a stone just worn down till it's sharp and then attached to a stick, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, aye, that would take you. had to do ev- every single one individually. Yeah, that would be... I wouldn't fancy that job either. Hello friends, Colin here, the looks, the charm and the brains behind Drunk Their Memory. Just wanted to pop in and interrupt your listening pleasure to let you know about our Patreon and some changes that we've made to it recently. We've now introduced a £1 tier where you get absolutely hee-haw other than the sense of achievement that could only come from supporting two great guys like myself and Jack. We've also reduced the price of the two top tiers uh, by a pound on each of them just because we appreciate Life is a little bit shit just now, and uh, if we can make things a little bit better for people, then we will. So check us out at patreon.com forward slash wrong term memory, and you'll be able to get early access to shows, ad-free, and lots of bonus content. You must have heard of the Trojan horse, Colin. Yes, uh, Helen of Troy and... There's a movie and all that sort of stuff. They they bring the horse in. They they don't realise it's a it's a hollow horse, and people jump out of it and kill everybody. Is that about right? That is about. Have I, I just ruined the sex segment? <laughs> no, <laughs> mate. You will just keep going then. So, but this is part of mythology. But there seems to be some debate between historians as to whether or not this was an actual thing that happened, right? Okay, or, or just a story. Um, fairy tale about deception and like what not to fall for. Like, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Basically, yeah, there is some debate as to whether or not this happened. Well, what do you think? I don't know. Let's go through the actual. Let's read the proper version of it, and we'll see. Um, according to Greek mythology. Paris of Troy had kidnapped Helen of Troy, who was the daughter of Zeus and Leda, and um, the king of Sparta at the time waged a war to get her back. And to end the war, after a decade of fighting, they got off a plan to create a huge hollow horse. As um, Jack, they said they did this because horses are sacred to the Trojans, and they would send that as an offering of peace. Um, the horse went into the city, that ended the war. They thought it was the, the symbol of peace. They kind of put down their weapons. And bad stuff still happened, didn't it? Like um, the, the very first sentence you said there would make me start to doubt it, but uh, because Helen of Troy is the daughter of Zeus and uh, Leda. Zeus is a made-up cunt. Yeah, is Zeus not the guy with the big beard that's under the water? Uh, that is uh, that really handsome country in New Zealand, uh, Aquaman, no? <laughs> <laughs> or, no. Um, no, I'm sure Zeus is the water one, but I don't know. But yeah, there must have been somebody called Zeus. Um, but yeah, like just nobody knows Jack. No, nobody, nobody was there. There's no photographs. 
Um, there's no movies to watch. There's <laughs> definitely not any photographs. Yeah, there's no <laughs> photographs. Like, so the only proof of this is probably written in a wall of a cave somewhere, and it, it's probably bullshit. It's a nice I story. I think it's more apocryphal, basically, is what I began at, is don't trust, well, the country you're fighting against, for a start, <laughs> but don't trust him. Oh, you, you've left me a big bag of Skittles outside. <laughs> Mm. Yum, yum, yum. Anyway, I know, mate. It's, it's the big mass of Skittles, honestly. It's like a fucking addiction. <laughs> I buy them every single day and I eat them every single day. <laughs> Even Carl's like that to me. You need to stop taking these Skittles, mate. <laughs> it's, me the, it's me or the blues. <laughs> it's me or the Skittles. <laughs> I'm just covered in candy. <laughs> I stick my tongue in it, it's all multicoloured. <laughs> Taste the rainbow, basically. Right, <laughs> right we'll move on. <laughs> and this is when military deception maybe starts to get a little bit more thoughtful and even more deceitful, basically. You've heard of Christopher Columbus, yeah? Yes, he discovered America. So, um, he's been written out of history, basically. He's been cancelled, do you know what? But I was was he slaves or something? Because he was a bit because uh, he murdered fucking hundreds of milk, oh, like, hundreds of cunts basically. People yeah. have like I know people have um, Christopher Columbus coins they keep in their car, and it's supposed to stop your car crashing. That's... Mate, I genuinely think you've got mixed up with <laughs> uh, Saint Christopher. Is that not Christopher Columbus? No, Saint Christopher is the patron saint of travel. Right, edit that part out. Carry on. <laughs> no, I'm not editing. That's getting left in your fucking neck. I think that's what you've get. That's what you're getting mixed up with. Right, okay. Uh, Saint Christopher is the patron saint of travelling, so he will protect you if you crash on your motor. Right, okay. basically. But we're going to be back to 1503, mate. So Christopher turns up in Jamaica, and there's the natives staying there called the Arabacs. Pretty friendly at first, so they're giving Christopher and all his buddies a big bunch of food and shower. These days turn to weeks, months, and the Arabacs begin to sort of get a little bit pissed off that like these guys are there just eating all of their food. Plus, uh, Columbus and his crew had a sort of bad habit of uh, raping the woman, basically. For God's sake, right, So okay. the, the guy's got a little bit angry about this. Christopher Columbus turns up at uh, the Arabacs, like the boss, basically, like the leader of the pack, and he goes like that, look, uh, my God is probably furious here that you're not giving us food anymore, even though we're raping your woman. So what he's going to do is, in three nights, he's going to turn the moon red, and he's going to steal it off you, so you'll never see it again, you bunch of cunts. The guys are like that, right? No. You're talking shite, basically. That's not going to happen. But Christopher Columbus was a smart cookie. He'd obviously known that there was a, a solar eclipse coming up. How did they know that? Because of, like, even science was a thing back then. Okay. So, he knew that because somebody smarter than him had figured it out. Right, okay. So he said to this uh, big chief, I'm going to steal the sun off you, mate. And then all your pals are going to die. <laughs> so don't fuck about. The sun did disappear and they shot themselves and basically um, gave him what he wanted. 
because they thought that he could control, well, not he, Columbus's God could control the weather, the sun, and all that sort of stuff. So, again, really deceptive and sneaky, and taking advantage of knowing something more than your opponent. So, do you give him a bit of kudos, I know what's coming up, so I'm going to scare these guys. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously a horrible fucking bastard, um, but that is smart, uh, to have that sort of knowledge back then, and not only have that, but find a way to twist it around to your advantage and fool people that aren't as clued up as you. Um, it's pretty genius, to be fair. And what, what he's done there is he's got exactly what he wanted and got people completely under his control without any bloodshed, basically. Um, which, is, that's pretty good in terms of military deception. I would say if you can achieve your goals without losing any of your men or even harming any of theirs, that's pretty cool. It's just a shame about all the assaulting and raping of women that he was doing at the same time, which kind of dilutes his, his kudos and his wonder somewhat. Yeah, all the murder and rape is bad. Now, there probably are many other cases of military deception throughout the ages, but we're jumping forward 400 years, basically calling to the Civil War in America. Okay. Do you want to take this one away? Yeah, let's do it. So, um, the Civil War um, in America. Um, so, during that, the, the Union's um, USSS Indianola ironclad river gunboat easy for me to say uh, that served in the western theater within the u.s navy's mississippi squadron and it operated in the mississippi river and the yazoo rivers and um basically what Heavy that did chocolate. Was, <laughs> yeah uh, she ran past confederate batteries in vicksburg to reach the red river and help block confederate supplies from sailing down its waters however when it got there it would get attacked by the confederate rams that happened on the night of february 24th 1863 it was run aground out the water and captured. And what Union Union Naval Commander David Porter did was he ordered the construction of a dummy made out of an old coal barge to make it look like the real warship. And it was filled with paddle boxes, fake guns and cannons, etc. That was then floated past Vicksburg and word kind of got out that they'd captured their boat. They had this more powerful ironclad boat and it basically panicked the opposition and scared the shit out of them. Um, and gave them complete one-upmanship, didn't it? Well, that's it. Like, so, so they've got this, like the 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 most high-grade military ship of the time in their control, and then they send in this fake one. So they shake themselves and think, yeah. "Fuck, they're going to steal that back." So they blow it up. So they were in control of this massive ship and set it on fire through deception because they thought they're going to get that back, and then we're fucked. That's clever, isn't it? It's, this is interesting stuff, actually. See, it's actually not that. It's, is this why you listen to these history podcasts? This is the sort of stuff I mean, you listen to? That's all I've been doing for the last couple of months is uh, getting tuned uh, right in, right into history. Uh, the rest of history is a brilliant podcast, by the way, if you've got spare time with uh, Tom Holland and Dominic Sunday, who's actually helping Martin write his book. Uh, how, how many of them have you listened to? Uh, I listened to 112 episodes in a month. That's amazing. Yeah, I just battled in. Second World War, I suppose. We're going to jump forward another 100 or so years here. It's, again, played a huge part in World War Two, basically. And the sort of most famous one. Now, there's probably people out there that are right in to World War Two history, so 
Leave comments, but don't get on top of me here for saying this is the most famous one, but Operation Barbarossa, basically, uh, was the Nazi plan to invade the Soviet Union. This one kind of tickles my mind a bit because it doesn't really involve much deception, but we'll get there. Part of the, part of the build-up to this um, invasion was a little bit of deception. So the Germans wanted to basically make Stalin let his guard down, mate. Yeah. And all they done, listen to this, this is, again, sort of blows my mind a bit, they sent him two letters, <laughs> and basically these two letters said, uh, yeah, we're just ignoring you, mate, don't, don't, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and he fell for it. Wow. So Stalin was positive that the, the Soviet Union was safe, and he held on to this belief right up until the middle of June. In 1941, but the undisputed, like, like we'll get in a minute actually. Just sending somebody a letter saying, uh, we're, we're no common for you. Do you, th- <laughs> do you think that's deception or did they actually think that was going to work? It's, and it's, we're probably surprised that it did. It's military audacity rather than deception, isn't it? It's taking a piss. That's what I mean. I suppose there's two parts to it because you've got the, the Soviet Union who probably. Were also a bit had a bit of audacity to them as well that they would have probably believed that they were so strong and they were so powerful that the Nazis and Germans wouldn't want to fuck with them. So that's probably how they believed that letter because they, they probably haven't they probably wouldn't have believed that letter from the point of view that oh well, the Germans are actually nice guys that they're, they're they like us. It's more that we are the, the Nazis Union. are super. <laughs> yeah, we are the Soviet Union. They won't come for us. We're too big, etc. And the Nazis have tapped into that and they've kind of just believed each, each other to an extent and. That's allowed him to believe they were safe right up to you said until June forty one. Um so yeah, I don't know whether the Nazis believed it would work, but it was certainly worth a try, sending one letter. Um and wow, that's an embarrassment for old Stalin falling for that shit. Yeah, I probably jumped in a little bit by saying that was the, the greatest deception of World War Two because you've heard of the D Day landings as well, mate, surely. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Operation Fortitude basically was how we outsmarted the Germans. I think it was Fortitude North and Fortitude South, mate. Yes, that's right, yeah. Uh, you take the North one right now, I'll take the South one. Okay, so Fortitude North uh, consisted of 24 British officers heading up to the Highlands. And what they did was they sent fake transmitted messages from there that replicated the build-up to an Allied invasion of Norway, which resulted in Hitler keeping 13 divisions of his soldiers and 150,000 air and naval workers in Norway instead of Normandy. So he's got yeah. all these people and all these operations protecting Norway because he thinks that the Allies are going for that, when in fact, Jack, they're not. And that left Normandy kind of vulnerable. Yeah, see, I wonder if, like, the we, the Allied forces, sort of knew that he was basically speeding out of his dial all of the time and he was easily tricked. But Fortitude South used a, a lot of the same tactics, basically. Um, but in the southern English ports, such as like Portsmouth and stuff like that, where they used things such as a dummy landing craft to convince the Germans that Calais was a landing target. And as a result, was a, Operation Fortitude has been hailed as one of the greatest acts of military deception in all of history, obviously because of the not just the scale of secrecy and deception that took place, but because it worked. Like that, that's quite an interesting one, is how many of these military deception acts 
haven't mucked overtime. Oh, there must be. <laughs> I would, I would say ninety-nine percent probably. And yeah. you just don't hear about them because it's, you try something and it doesn't work, or else they try something and they all die. Um, you you would only hear the successful ones, wouldn't you? Yeah, we're actually going to get to one that doesn't quite work in Vietnam, but uh, there's also the effort to beat the German U-boat menace uh, during the during the war. So the Royal Navy again resulted to deception, and it used these sort of special decoy vessels known as Q-ships. They were like the the real Q-ships were heavily armed merchant ships, but they used fake ones. Again, uh, just putting out ships, barges, and stuff like that that had fake guns right. and stuff like that. So the U-boats um, basically thought, oh, fuck, here here comes one of the big, bad Q-ships. And it was literally just a fucking, <laughs> like, one of the boats you'd play in, like, in the bath years ago or whatever, like, as a kid. It was basically as, as harmful as that. But again, just making these cunts think, look how big and tough we are. Like walking about with one of the like big, like getting no tattoos, but like walking about as if like you're Billy Big Town. Yeah, like, and kid on you're the hard man, basically. <laughs> and basically, that that deception basically brought those German boats, submarines, you should say, uh, to come out of the water, make Aye. themselves known, and when they're busy attacking fake ships, they're prime targets to get attacked themselves. It's, it's again, it's a good one. I like yeah. it. Vietnam, mate. Um, you weren't there. Vietnam. Yeah, yeah you, weren't, you weren't there, mate. I wasn't there, bitch. Um, I'd like to go to Vietnam. Um, I'll tell you why. Um, I've watched a documentary once about David Beckham riding motorbikes in Vietnam. Yeah, I think I've seen that as well. It actually, just looked amazing, like such a beautiful place, and like a bottle of Coca Cola is about two pence and stuff like that. Oh, it's so, cheap as fuck. Yeah, yeah, it just looks a right nice place to go. Yeah, it looked great in that documentary. So alongside this military deception as sort of uh, PSYOPs, you heard of that? Uh, no, I haven't heard of that one. Like PSYOPs is where you basically try and mindfuck, not just through lies, but by kidding on there's like ghosts and like aliens and shit kicking about. Right, okay. Right, so uh, there was a PSYOP thing called Operation Wandering Soul where... What the Americans basically done was try to terrify the Viet Cong by using recordings uh, that they played out of these massive speakers in the jungle, like, woo, <laughs> like trying to scare the people. One of the downsides was a lot of the Viet Cong seen the speakers in the trees and just went, that's coming out of speaker. <laughs> and, just, shot it. and just shot it. <laughs> Uh, like uh, the feedback was was pretty promising like and this led to like the operation getting expanded a little bit and the US Army literally had a battalion that were all about uh, PSYOPs and they looked to seek more opportunities to expand their repertoire uh, whenever possible however it didn't didn't particularly work um, to be perfectly honest with you there was one there was a, a story going about Vietnam that there was these like massive fucking <laughs> massive taggers ripping about they were eating everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so the Americans thought, right, we'll, we'll just go to Bangkok Zoo and record the taggers <laughs> roaring <laughs> and then like playing that out the speakers as well. But again, 
it supposedly worked once um, in South South Vietnam somewhere. They played these noises out of the speakers and supposedly a uh, hundred and fifty Viet Cong shot themselves and ran away because they were they'd heard about the the stories of the the massive tigers. But um, generally, these psyops don't particularly work. Operation again. It's called Operation Popeye, mate. Why right. tell us a lot about Operation Popeye? Because yeah. um, Operation Popeye was when a bunch of soldiers went aga 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 aga. What it actually was was um, in the early nineteen sixties, um, the South Vietnam president and basically U.S. puppet ruler uh, Neil Dean Jim and his regime were on the ropes. Um, however, he was still America's man in Saigon. So what the US government tried to do was whatever they could basically to prop him up. Um, but they finally abandoned him by backing a coup that overthrew him. Uh, but just prior to washing their hands of him, the US did think up some mad ideas of uh, how they could support him and make him look powerful, such as manipulating the weather to make it rain on protesters. Um, so what they did, Jack, this is mad, the CIA and the US military cooked up a plan to seed clouds and make them literally rain on the parades of anti-protesters. <laughs> uh, modified cargo planes began flying over the Ho Chi Minh Trail in 1967, and they released silver and lead iodine flares. The goal of this was to increase the monsoon period rainfall, and this negatively impacted its use to supply and reinforce communist forces in South Vietnam. So by the time that Operation Popeye was terminated in 1972, <laughs> this is brilliant. Yeah. over 2,600 missions had been flown, during which roughly 47,000 cloud seeding charges were dropped, and the impact that had in the Ho Chi Minh Trail and communist supplies and reinforcements was next to nil. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't make a difference, nah. Didn't do a single thing. 47,000 seeding charges, uh, 2,600 missions, and that's from 1967 to 1972. For the square root of fuck all. That is it. Uh, military deception in the modern era for catching up to where we are now has moved into the basically the world of like technology and cyber deception. Basically, one of the most modern examples about the changing dynamic of military deception is the widespread use of drones uh, to seek out enemy positions. And this is something that the Russians done about four or five years ago, back in 2016, and absolutely devastated the Ukrainian military um, during that conflict then. Like, you can just go and buy one of them at the fucking local joke shop, basically. <laughs> now. Yeah, I've got one I've never flew. Um, you've I got one, you've, you've never even took it outside? Never took it out of the box, mate. Um, I got it for Christmas off somebody like three years ago, I think, and it's literally never been out of the box. Um, it's got a camera and all for, you can so you put it up and you can take pictures and all sorts, control it with your phone, and it sends the pictures back to your phone and stuff like that. But I have never even taken it out of the box. See, that's the thing. Like this drone capability would have basically previously only been available to like military and allied forces, but we're now in that position where you can buy one and not take it out of the box. And even <laughs> these things have got. Like, they've all got fucking heat sensors and shit like that now. It's not just a case of, like, you can just, like, buy one for 48 quid off of Amazon. It's got fucking quite high tech involved for peanuts. So all these sort of ter- terrorism and terrorist cells now can just go and buy one, basically. Yeah, well, that's it. I think the eventual goal will be that 
your conflicts and your armies will work without soldiers, basically. Your soldiers will all be sat somewhere safe, controlling drones, controlling devices, controlling robots almost, um, controlling nuclear weapons, controlling um, attacks that happen from far, far, far away. You actually, the idea of an actual foot soldier and somebody putting themselves in the line of fire is something that's going to get less and less and less prevalent, I would imagine. Well, certainly, it. certainly in modern society and affluent society, obviously there will be people fighting like in the third world and stuff like that. They just don't have access to that sort of stuff. But in terms of the the modern world with technology, with money, with finance, and all that sort of stuff, you'll see less soldiers on the ground and more technology. Well, that's it. You've got camouflage, I suppose, as one of the the most basic terms and uses of military deception, like just sticking a little bit of fucking green and brown paint in your face. But it's it's not just that that they're using nowadays. They're using like it seems to be more high tech camouflage basically. There's a guy called Nicholas Alland. I'm just gonna read this quote verbatim basically. Every soldier and every piece of military equipment on the planet's surface is constantly interacting with radiation from within the electromagnetic spectrum. Light waves bouncing off the surface of an object to form an image in our eyes which can then be captured by a camera while reflected waves within the infrared band can be detected by dedicated sensors and films. Objects basically generate all this stuff and signature management is the process of altering an object or individual signature in a way that delivers a military advantage basically and most often this involves changing the signature in a way which helps uh, an object blend into its environment so it can't be identified or detected as a threat. So it's not just putting brown paint on and uh, like sticking twigs in your hair. Like they seem to be bending fucking light waves and, and shit like that. It's just anything to get an advantage, which is yeah. fair enough, I suppose, in war. All's fair in love and war, isn't it? Um, affecting the height, the, the, the light, affecting the heat, so you don't show up as like a heat map sort of thing. Anything they can do. And you know what? The stuff that we're talking about and the stuff we know about is probably just scratching the surface because there'll be technology and sort of stuff that they don't even, there's not even public knowledge yet they're probably making use of and trying out. Yeah, mate. Right. Uh, take us through some of the planning and shit that goes into these deception methods. So, yeah, in terms of modern methods, it's a hell of a lot more technical than writing a letter. Um, there's months <laughs> and months of planning that go into it, lots of information gathering that can go into it. You can almost have something lined up that you've worked on for months and months and months, and then something happens at the last minute, and it's just forgotten about and changed and doesn't go ahead. Um, in this resort, sort of deceptions can be terminated in a way that ensures protection for military personnel. Um, eventuality will have been easy for me to say, meticulously planned for by the team involved with the deception, as every single possible outcome must be discussed as part of the, pro- the phrases of planning. Jack, it seems to me there's a lot more planning, a lot more talking, a lot more risk assessment now, rather than just send boats it's down the river. risk assessment, mate, that, that yeah. is it, because <laughs> that's what that's what I've actually got my, my degree in, is risk management and risk assessment, and it's under, it's constant scrutiny, and the thing is, like, with risk assessment and risk management is companies, people, the army don't want to spend money on it, because it doesn't cost them money unless something goes wrong. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so they wants to prevent something or spend money on it, even though <clears throat> that'll save you money in the long run. So um, military aren't that 
much uh, different, to be perfectly honest with you. The the future of military deception is something that is ever-evolving, basically. Now, we don't particularly live in a world where the superpowers are starved of information. Like, let's be honest, you get your Googles, your Apples, your fucking Samsungs or whatever. Like, information is is key and you know exactly what your enemies are doing, the activities, like there was, it wasn't that long ago that I think they had to close down like a military camp in America somewhere because somebody hacked into the, like take a walk app or something like that, that all the fucking army cunts were using and they were just running around in circles, like at their camp, like doing training and they just tuned into it and went like, well look, (laughs) they're there. Basically, yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's obviously like a mad race for like military supremacy, basically, and a lot of it is going to basically be how deceptive you can be, and getting that edge in warfare has probably never been more vital nowadays than it has in the past. So, um, the future is going to be tactical, I suppose. Yeah, well, that's it. The technology is going to almost put a level playing field. It doesn't matter in some regards if you've got 100,000 soldiers or 50,000 soldiers because the technology can level things up. So it's going to be the people that make the best use of the technology going forward that are going to have the better. Hello friends, Colin here. The looks, the charm and the brains behind long-term memory. Just wanted to pop in and interrupt your listening pleasure to let you know about our Patreon and some changes that we've made to it recently. We've them introduced a £1 tier, where you get absolutely hee-haw, other than the sense of achievement that could only come from supporting two great guys like myself and Jack. We've also reduced the price of the two top tiers uh, by a pound on each of them, just because we appreciate life is a little bit shit just now, and uh, if we can make things a little bit better for people, then we will. So check us out at patreon.com forward slash memory, and you'll be able to get early access to shows, ad-free, and lots of bonus content. Success, I think you're spot on. Do you know who are some of the most deceptive people in the world, Colin? Um, probably us with some of the things we pretend to be factual about on this podcast. Yeah, but, uh, us well, and your parents, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your parents lie all the time. Yeah, so... Uh, I found a bunch of lies that parents have told their kids here, and we'll just read through them. There's only five or six, maybe, but some of them are quite interesting, so I'll jump straight in. Okay. Um, as a kid, my dad convinced me there was a species of mountain goat that had evolved with a big, massive long legs on one side <laughs> so that it could balance on the steep slopes. You must have seen <laughs> those goats that stand, basically, on that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know how they do it. It's amazing watching them actually how what they can climb up. But yeah, yeah. that's 100% the type of thing you tell kids. Another one, my flatmate grew up on a farm and he was told by her parents, sorry, she was told by her parents that the TV only worked when it was raining outside. I think, well, like, like a lot of these lies from parents will be for the good of their children. And I think getting your kid to fucking go outside when it's not raining and play probably back in the day wasn't too much of a bad call. This one's a little bit different. So my dad, my sister, who was three, and I, when I was six, were making Christmas cookies when I specifically remember my dad making this odd-shaped one 
when I asked what it was, he said, oh, it's a, just a dragonfly without wings. Uh, fast forward to about two years ago and I found this old VHS tape, pop it in the VCR, and it's at that very moment my mum had recorded it. Uh, it was then I realised that my dad had made a massive cock and balls. <laughs> <laughs> a dragonfly without his wings. Oh, wow, that's good. Good job. Um, when my ex-girlfriend was a kid, she had misbehaved, so her dad told her he was only going to buy her one boob when she grew up. <laughs> uh, I was told that if a centipede counted my teeth, I would die. To this day, I close my mouth every time I see a centipede. I'm oh, nearly 40 man. years old. That's like those adults you see that don't step in the cracks of the pavement and stuff like that. Look, it's uh, mad how something can stick me if uh, this one's a wee bit longer maybe <laughs> it's, good, it's quite good actually. it looks like a good one um, I dated a girl who had a job at McDonald's a while back uh, one mother with two kids came in and ordered a regular set with two kids meals I guess that at this McDonald's there was frequent items that the corporation was testing so this woman ordered some sort of healthy kids meal that had apple slices instead of fries and milk or chocolate milk instead of soda so my girlfriend was about to ask her do you want milk or chocolate milk with those kids meals but the woman immediately shushed her, saying, shh, just regular milk. They don't know about chocolate milk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I found this on a Reddit forum that's eight years old, mate, and that's why there's a bit of confusion about the apple slices now. Yeah, because they're commonplace now, aren't they? You yeah, anytime. pretty common, man. Uh, my granny told us that smelling each other's farts would make us stronger. <laughs> Worst Christmas for us, best Christmas for her. <laughs> uh, one more, and then we'll wrap up. Yeah, uh, my dad told me that he went to school with Al Gore. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why, it's funny. <laughs> he said that he, he would wear loafers with no socks, and everyone called him Crazy Al. Uh, ah, funny stuff, man. Yeah, I think Al does, mate. Yeah, yeah I was like, the, only, the only thing I'll add to that is the and I'll, this wasn't an original concept from me because I heard it from someone else, but on a similar sort of vein, I do remember telling my daughter at various times that the ice cream van plays its tune when it's run out of ice cream. Oh, gee, I think I've heard that before. Man. Yeah, it's, it's not original. It's well known. Uh, I stole it from someone else. But yeah, it plays its tune to let you know that it's run out of ice cream for the day. Okay. Right. Uh, again, massive thank you to everybody that signed up to our Patreon and especially our executive producers, Mark Brown, Robert McMillan, and Ross Barnett. We will speak to you soon. Cheers, Colin. Yeah, cheers, me. That was good. Thanks for that. Right. Speak to you soon, guys. Bye. Bye.